<clears throat> Welcome to church. We're glad you're here. This is uh, our series called Motive 6. Motive 6 is all about motive and the role of motive in stewardship of our lives. And uh, it all comes from Matthew 6. So uh, we didn't have any good title for it, so we called it Motive 6. Uh, there are not even six weeks. There are only five weeks. Uh, this is our next to last week. And uh, we've been talking about, in Motive 6, about the first three things that were expectations for Jews in, uh, in those days, how they would pursue righteousness, practicing righteousness as a Jew, meant that at least you would do these three things of, of prayer and giving and fasting. And, uh, and, and, and we were reminded by Jesus that, that, that those are things that in order for your motive to be pure, you have to make sure you're doing it as he says, in a sense, in secret. Today, Today we make a little bit of a transition in our passage. And Jesus is not just speaking to the hypocrites, as he calls them, earlier on in Matthew 6. He's talking about how we live our lives in the world. He's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. And he's talking about how we live our lives in the world. So we'll get back to that in just a minute here. So keep your thumbs on Matthew 6. We're just going to be focusing on 19 through 24 today. Some of you probably experienced this kind of thing in college or when you left high school and you were on your own. Being on your own can be a wonderful <laughs> and a horrible thing. My freshman year in college, I went through a bit of a foolish phase of buying CDs and late night pizza. Those are my two pitfalls. My two downfalls as, as a freshman in college were compact discs, music, and, and late-night pizza. I saw a couple out there going, uh-huh, yeah, I did that. <clears throat> I was so excited as a freshman in college about being on my own. It was, it was just me and Jesus and, and soccer and, and hopefully girls, eventually a girl, uh, you know, things, things like that. It was, it was being on my own and having that kind of freedom, just, just me and a bunch of old books written by dead guys that I could just sit at the library and study like, like the nerd that I am, I guess. But, of course, what that meant was, who cares about money? <laughs> For me as a freshman, enjoying my freedom, let's just say I got my first credit card. When I got my first credit card, I showed up at semester break, and I, uh, uh, I, I showed my mom and dad how I had spent my money on late-night pizza and CDs. At about the break, it was something like $250 through my first semester as a freshman year of college. It ended up being about $300. So after some uncomfortable conversations with my mom and my dad, well, mostly my dad, I guess, I went back to school the next year, a somewhat wiser money manager. During the summers, my dad made me have not just one, but two part-time jobs starting from that freshman year on to make sure I had enough money for late-night pizza and things like that. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever done anything that foolish. <laughs> I know a bunch of you are thinking to yourselves, please do not bring up those college memories for me. Anybody here ever made foolish purchases? You actually raised your hands. Well done. I didn't actually expect you to raise your hands. Sorry. 
But, uh, but I did note who you were. No, no, no. How about this one? You invest in something that you are sure is going to pay off later. And it doesn't always happen. Anybody remember Beanie Babies? Anybody buy any of those for a kid or a grandkid? Chances are that there are a couple of you that at least have a few dozen Beanie Babies in your house. This is what they look like. This was from the original nine, they called it. This is the frog Beanie Baby. Now, Beanie Babies, if you don't know, they were just little stuffed animals. Nothing special. But instead of being overstuffed like normal, they were slightly understuffed with plastic pellets or beans. And they had what the company called a, a, a posable lining, whatever that means. They had sort of a flexible feel, and they could be sort of posed and, uh, and, and keep that pose a little bit. The frenzy for these little things, they're small little things, no more than just a, you know, four or five inches maybe at the most. The frenzy for these beanie babies became a $6 billion a year market at its height. Parents were pushing and shoving in line, absolutely just clamoring to get a beanie baby that cost five bucks at the time. At one point, they were fetching high dollars in the mid to late 90s, and people were scooping them up as if they'd be collector's items. You could pay upwards of 25 to 30 bucks for a Beanie Baby, and for the really rare ones, you would, you would pay more. <laughs> well, newsflash, this, this just in. Like most fads, and ultimately, like everything else this side of heaven that we think is going to be worth something in the long term, Beanie Babies were a bust. Nowadays, some of the truly rare ones go for 10 to 15 bucks each. But they were so common after the market for Beanie Babies fell apart, the overwhelming majority of Beanie Babies can be sold, I'm sorry, can be purchased in huge lots of dozens and dozens for one to two dollars each the market for Beanie Babies went bust. Now, whether it's late-night pizza or Beanie Babies as an investment, we've all made that sort of foolish purchase decision. Sometimes one that we couldn't even afford with the hopes that it would revolutionize our lives and bring happiness. You see, the world is full of fads and gimmicks that are constantly being peddled and promoted to us. We are thoroughly bombarded by them. And we are raised on a diet that begs us to be consumers of frivolous things whose value will not last. Here's the truism that Jesus teaches us here today in Matthew 6. If we could get this right, it would go a long way toward transforming our hearts and our families and our congregation. This side of heaven, the market is a bust. That's the first blank on your outlines there. Friends, this side of heaven, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. The market is a bust. We live in a world that absolutely clamors for meaning, 
from tangible things that can be bought and sold. People all over the face of this earth throughout all of history have been buying and selling stuff with the vain hope, as Jesus says, that a reward will come from those things. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Entrance into the kingdom cannot be bought and sold. It's too precious. Galatians 5, verse 22, calls the kingdom something that you inherit. It's so precious, you can't possibly buy it. It's something we inherit as sons and daughters of God, as Paul says. It's of such great worth and infinite value that you, that you cannot invest in it with the common economic trade of earthly goods and services. That won't work for the kingdom. It's like Paul says in Romans 14, verse 17, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and of drinking, but of righteousness and of joy. In the Holy Spirit. Motive six, this whole time we've been talking about pursuing things that are righteous things. So that when we give, when we pray, when we participate in the kingdom, they will be coming from a right place. That is, a place that accords with God's character and his nature. Something is right, not because you and I do it, but because we do it in a way that reflects the truism of God being holy and pure and righteous. As we'll see here today, Jesus is telling us, invest in the only surefire way to receive a reward, an eternal return. Put your stock in the kingdom. You see, friends, if if you haven't yet noticed in this series, our motive comes from the extent to which our lives reflect the kingdom of God. That's why we've stated our big idea, a series big idea in this way. This is on your sheets. Unlike the pretend piety of the hypocrites, the piety, that is, right conduct that accords with God's character, the right conduct of those engaged in the kingdom of God is rewarded by the Father in heaven. So the question is, do my motives reveal engagement in God's kingdom Or do they reveal engagement in some other kind of kingdom, small k, usually a kingdom of our own making? Jesus is is speaking to his people knowing that, that all of us have this temptation. And the people to whom he speaks, we have a temptation to, 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 to make our own little kingdoms and worship things that rule over us. Turn with me to Matthew 6 here, verses 19 through 24. We're going to spend a few minutes here in the text itself. Look at verse 19 to 20 here. It says this. It says, do not lay up for yourselves. Do not store up, some translations say. Another word for that is stockpile. Don't stockpile for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and where rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. This is verses 19 through 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in 
and steal. Now that first phrase there, do not lay up for yourselves treasures, is a, is a play on words. It's an ironic sort of play on words that Jesus uses here. He actually uses the word treasure twice. He literally said, do not treasure for yourselves treasures. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. He used that word as a verb first and then as a noun in that sentence. Don't treasure, he is saying. Don't treasure things that the world calls treasures. By the way, Jesus here is not, he's not prohibiting uh, wisdom in saving for a rainy day or Y2K. He's, he's not prohibiting wisdom in saving for a rainy day. In Proverbs 6, Scripture talks about it. In verses 6 to 11 of Proverbs 6, Scripture talks about the ant and praises the ant for storing in the summer the things that it will need in the winter. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, it says that the believer who does not provide for family is worse than the unbeliever. So this, this statement from Jesus isn't an outright ban on possessions or on property in themselves. Jesus knows we need these things. In contrast to what he has just said not to do, verse 20, he says this, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasure for yourselves real treasure. He's saying, in fact, stockpile it. Gorge yourself on true treasure. Have a bunch left over of the stuff I'm offering you in contrast to what the world offers you. Verse 21, he, he lays down here, plain and simple, the principle involved. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may have heard of David Livingston. He was a well-known missionary in the 19th century. David Livingston, his, his body is buried in England where he is born. But his heart is literally buried in the Africa he loved. At the foot of a, a small tree in an African village, the natives there dug a hole and placed in it the heart of this man whom they loved and respected. If your heart, if our hearts were to be buried in the place that we loved most during our earthly lives, where would they be buried? In our honest moments, we'd have to admit some of our hearts are buried in pocketbooks, at the office, on a fishing boat, on a sports field. Where would it be buried? Jesus comes along and he throws down the gauntlet. He said, better make sure it's buried with Christ in the kingdom. I picture my tombstone saying something like, his, his earthly, worn-out body is here. But I want it to say, his heart 
is buried with Jesus. That's why he says, following that in verse 22, that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. The Jews often spoke of the eye sort of like we do the heart. It's a window to the soul. It's a lamp that reveals the quality of a person's inner life. Do you want to know what somebody's motive is? See how they view the world and people and the things they value. It's like saying, where is your heart? A healthy eye, a clear vision suggests that your heart is in the right place with Jesus. He says it this way a little differently in verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He sums it all up by just simply saying at the end of verse 24, you cannot. He doesn't say, you may be able to. He says you cannot serve God and money. The bottom line, says Jesus, is that you have to choose whom you're going to serve. Your own expertise in, re- in acquiring stuff that Jesus ironically says won't last. Or God's eternal treasure of a salvation that cannot be bought. Here's the part about Jesus' words here that worries me. And I think this is probably something that we should all be worried about in some ways. I am afraid of how much I love my stuff. It's like we said last week. We can be so, so promiscuously in love with our stuff that we become unaware of its power to push love of God and the pursuit of his kingdom and his goodness and his character to the farthest margins of our lives. We are so wantonly promiscuously, I use that word on purpose, in love with our stuff that we become unaware of its power to push the righteousness of God, which Jesus said, this is the kingdom, the righteousness of God, to the farthest farthest margins of our lives. The title of the sermon today is Rusty Christians. I think Rusty Christians are those who have been rusted by the world's value of acquiring and stockpiling things. Jesus says, they've received their reward. The entirety of one's reward in stockpiling things is received here and now. That, this stuff that we so easily acquire pushes love of God and kingdom to the margins of my life worries me. (laughs) Jesus says the reward from the stuff of this life has a very short shelf life. So, 
I want to suggest a, a simple, applicable exercise for you this week. Last week, we talked about fasting, and I suggested that we fast together last Monday. We received tons of great feedback about that exercise of fasting last week. I heard from, from literally three dozen people, at least just personally, who made a go at that personal spiritual exercise last Monday. And so this week I want to suggest we try something else. Think of, think of one area of your life where you have treasured something here on earth. Something that, that, that won't last. Something that a thief can break in and, and, and steal. Think of something that you have treasured in earthly terms. Now think of one thing that represents that treasure. An, an, an actual thing. <laughs> Tangible, physical thing. Think of one thing that represents your inordinate love for that earthly treasure. And I want to suggest that you give it away or you trash it. Literally, give it away or trash it completely. One time my dad preached a sermon about this, and, uh, and he asked the congregation to do this exact exercise. This tie that I'm wearing today was the symbol he chose as the earthly thing he valued too highly. He said, I, I, I care too much about what people think about me based on my image. And so he gave me a tie. And that's the tie I'm wearing, so Alden may get the, this this week. No. <laughs> Give some thought. To one thing. It doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to be expensive, just, just something that's symbolic of something that represents your earthly treasure. And if it's useful to somebody who won't be tempted by receiving it or treasuring it too highly, give it to them or just plain trash it. You're not taking it with you, it's not going to do you any good in the kingdom. Jesus is not going to love you any more or less. There is no possible way for it to affect your eternal standing with Jesus if you don't have that thing that represents your too highly prized earthly possession. Can you imagine what would happen if this congregation, if your family, if your marriage, got hold of the truth that the kingdom is the only truly wise investment opportunity. Can you imagine what will happen in your life, in my life, in this congregation, if we get hold of the truth that the kingdom of God is the only truly wise investment opportunity? In a sense, this message isn't really about how exactly you spend your money, though it comes out in those kinds of terms all the time. This message is about, do you love God 
enough to say, forget all else. Forsake it. Be done with it. If it keeps me from relationship with him, who cares? It will scare some of you how tightly you want to hold to that thing. Friends, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we receive a reward far beyond anything we could ever hope to imagine or buy. And it's freely given to us because of Christ's work on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we want to be people whose hearts are in tune with yours, whose motives come from a place that beats with the same kinds of values and concerns that make your heart beat. And so, Lord, we want to recenter and refocus our lives around those concerns. You came, Lord, to establish in our hearts and in our lives and in this world a kingdom where you rule, where your reign is demonstrated through things like love and joy and a peace. So, Father, please continue to shape us into people and families and marriages and a church that forsakes the things that have a short shelf life and who grabs hold tightly to those things that come from your cross that are bought for us with a price that is immeasurable and that we could hardly ever imagine to achieve on our own. And so we give you the praise and you the glory and you all honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you're looking for a church home and you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ and you would like to be a part of a congregation that cares about those kinds of kingdom values, we'd like to invite you as we stand to sing in just a moment to come forward. Or if you want to name Jesus in the waters of baptism for the first time as, as your Savior and Lord, please Come forward as we stand and as we sing.